Hey there, it's uh, Gary Parrish, and this is the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. I've got Matt Norlander with me, I've got Sam Bassini with me. It's Thursday night, it's March 3rd. In the year 2016, Arizona just beat California, so let me rephrase. It is late Thursday night, almost Friday, and I'll tell you, if Jalen Brown wasn't ahead of James Thompson, the fourth on Norlander's freshman rankings earlier this week, he's not going to be ahead of him uh, next time that's updated. Jalen Brown tonight, two of nine from the field, five points, five fouls. Norlander, I know you must have loved, felt vindicated on some level, uh, watching Jalen Brown struggle on a national stage. No, I did. It was vindication. Yes, we're. It is James of, Thompson the fourth, right? Yes, it is JT the four. Come J- on now, JT four. I thought so. I just want to make sure. Go. Uh, you know, we had talked Thank about God. that. As, <laughs> we had talked about that as we wrapped up Wednesday's podcast, and uh, it was well timed on my behalf. Listen, I love Jalen Brown's game. I think he's a good college player. I think he'll be a really nice pro. Uh, but he didn't show up, and in Cal overall, listen, Cal had uh, the game essentially wrapped up. I think a lot of people were ready to crown him. It would have been a huge win. For Cal's resume because it's been able to get road wins over the past couple of weeks but winning at Arizona is just a different deal altogether and for Zona to go on 11-0 run to, to end the game and get the win it also means something for that team in the Pac-12 in regard to the league tournament because there's buy situations and you know you really want to play as few games as possible in a league tournament situation generally speaking um, and good for the league overall because I think this will actually end up because I think Cal's and, and Zona they're going to be about in the same spot in terms of seeding I would think so. Um, Arizona needed that for its resume, not to just slip into a tricky spot. Like I think Zona now, if you play out the odds, I think it'll be a six at worst. But they needed that win over Cal, and they just barely got it in the end. And then there was a terrific moment on Twitter afterward. Archie Miller tweeting, "Storm the court." Did you see that? I did. I did <laughs> not. Beautiful. That's awesome. Archie, of course, Sean Miller's uh, brother. Uh-huh. Sean, of course, the coach of the Arizona Wildcats, who uh, recently went on a. Uh, I don't want to say a tirade. It wasn't a tirade, but uh, it sort of explained why court storming has to stop in the Pac-12 or else somebody's going to get hurt. More specifically, he said one of his players is going to punch a fan someday. <laughs> and, so, and so there was Archie with the hashtag storm the court right after Arizona uh, Arizona beat Cal. I, you know what? You said you thought people were getting ready to crown Cal, and, and I get that because Cal had been super hot and people are falling in love with um, the roster, particularly their freshmen. And Ivan Rab was really good tonight. I think he got like 15 and, and 13. But I noticed even like Deadspin, you know, had something up on Cal. Tonight. I saw that. Right. How about that? So that's that, that's my point. Like people are really st- – you know what? I don't think any less of Cal at this moment than I thought of Cal four hours ago. Like, I, you know what? They lost at the McKell Center. Like, so what? Who Like most te- – it's a little – like – I think sometimes we watch teams lose on the road and we go, well, okay, like, what do we think? And I'm like, who wouldn't lose? Who wouldn't have lost at the McKell Center tonight? Uh, Oregon. Oregon. Right. That's what I'm going to say. Oregon. Um, but, but basically every – and I mean that, like, top, other top 20 teams. Like, I'd say of the top 20 teams, 15 of them would have probably lost at the McKell Center tonight. Yeah, I think that that's probably fair. That's just college uh, in basketball. In a lot of ways, yeah. Um, I don't think any less of Cal, but – I, I certainly don't think any any more of them right. either at this point. I mean, this is still a team that is now, I think, three and nine or something, three and eight or so away from the away from Haas Pavilion. Uh, they just cannot beat good teams away from 
that building right now. And that's kind of a problem going forward, considering they're not going to play any NCAA tournament games at Haas Pavilion. Their only wins uh, on the road, so to speak, are against Washington and Washington State. Mm -hmm. uh, that was a three-point win against Washington. Obviously, they blew out Washington State. And then an overtime win against Wyoming. Uh, they have lost in neutral floor or road settings now to San Diego State, Richmond, Virginia, Oregon, Oregon State, Stanford, Utah, Colorado, and Arizona. I mean, I understand that they look a lot better right now than uh, they did early in the season. But I do wonder if part of this is they got to play five of those seven games during that seven-game win streak uh, at home where they are very comfortable and play their best basketball. This game against Arizona State over the weekend, I think, is going to be pretty interesting because Arizona State, that's not an easy place to play necessarily. And this Arizona State team is a really tough physical team that is going to take you out of your comfort zone at the very least. If they can go on the road, win that game and then perform well in the Pac-12 tournament. I'll feel a lot better about them being the kind of five or six seed that I think that or five or six seed that can make a run even that some people are talking them up as because right now it just seems like a team that can kind of be stopped on the road easily. I guess I would say this, obviously in the NCAA tournament, um, you don't have to play road games, right? That goes without saying beyond that. You also don't get to play home games though. I agree, but their neutral court losses were by definition early in the season. And it took a little sure. while for Jalen and, and, and Ivan to, to get going. Um, our, um, uh, research department at CBS Sports Network, uh, my buddy Andy Tulin had a, a stat, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but like it's very helpful. I know. Okay, okay. So I'm about to There's tell just you a stat out here, and I don't know what it is. <laughs> okay, but I'm, anyway, let's okay, just roll with I'm it. about to tell you a statistic that's going to blow your mind, although I can't actually remember what it is. But but the point the point you'll you'll be able to accept, even if I don't have the exact number right. Um, the number of teams who have a winning record in true road games this year, in all of college basketball, I believe it's like single digits. Yeah, I would believe that without a doubt. Um, I, I don't I doubt that, by the way. My it's problem it's, it's is possible more I made that up. It's, it, I might have made that up. It might. It, it might it's be, something I can look up really quickly. It might be nine teams or 9%. It's the camp. In true road games. True road games. Nobody wins on the road. That's the point. That's the point I'm trying to make. Nobody wins on the road. Consistently. Nobody consistently wins on the road. Yeah, no, that's it's fair. No, there's there's something to that. I think no I mean, matter. It might be high major schools because I'm looking at a lot of schools here that. Yeah, have, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, because yeah, if you get like you know Stephen in, F. Austin's romping. Hey, Austin. in fairness, I told you I couldn't remember it. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> um, ignore that altogether. Uh, just a real. Uh, oh, my my uh, hypothesis is that no matter what Cal does, I think it's going to be a very trendy Sweet 16 pick. No matter what its seed is, just by nature of the guys it has and the way it plays and um, you know, we'll see, but Sam, you're right on the money just in terms of the ASU game this weekend. Um, I think that is uh, a, an important one just in terms of maybe that team getting a little bit right. All right, let's, uh, let's move off of Cal Arizona. And I got a whole bunch of stuff I want to talk about, but before we start talking about things that are actually happening in this season and this weekend, let's, let's rewind 10 years because you had a, a really well-done piece on George Mason that posted earlier Thursday at CBSSports.com. For anybody who hasn't read it yet, um, you absolutely should, because I'll be honest, sometimes these stories um, bore me. Um, like the idea of them, like, okay, I know what happened. I don't need to, to relive it. 
And yet, one of the things you were able to do, and I told you this privately, I'll say it publicly, you were able to tell me things about that that I didn't remember or know, probably both, right? And I, I, I thought it was really good in that respect. If you're going to retell me a story, tell me some stuff I didn't know. And um, this had several examples of that. And so um, it's a great trip down memory lane and, and uh, is a, a wonderful reminder of just how improbable that whole deal was. So I'll ask you this, Norlander. Okay. What, what was, um, by the way, you can say thank you for all that stuff I said about it. <laughs> I, I said thank you publicly or privately. <laughs> I'm going to say thank you publicly. Here's what I would say. Um, here's what I'm asking you. Uh, what, what was the one thing that, that that stood out to you that was that you went, oh, wow, I had no idea. Like as you're reporting this story, I think you spoke to, to more than 20 people involved, including a, a lot of players, uh, Jim Laranega, of course, his staff but also Jim Calhoun, Tom Izzo, Mark Turgeon, so on and so forth. What's, what's the one nugget where you went, oh, wow, that's unbelievable. I bet most people don't know that. Okay. Um, I'm going to cheat and say two. Okay. Uh, one was three or four Mason players basically um, told me that the UConn team had serious chemistry issues. Um, it was very evident in that second half and Lamar Butler uh, said on the record, he said, Rudy Gay came off. He, he explained the play to me, what happened on the play. He said he couldn't remember when it happened, but I had to obviously like fact check this and make sure you could see it on the tape. He said, Gay hits a shot off a curl. After that, he pounds his chest and pardon the, uh, the swear here, but he said, pass me the fucking ball to Marcus Williams. And after that, the Mason players told me that the dynamic on the floor for UConn, while they still were able to tie the game, I think a lot of people forget that Mason, like Mason, really blew it uh, in the end to get it to overtime, and UConn, you know, miraculously uh, got it there. Even in spite of that, he said there was just you could tell there was something off. I wasn't aware that there was that much of a fracture, and then it didn't make the story, but a, a couple of Mason players had said that they had seen um, like Rashad Anderson, Denim Brown, Josh Boone later. Um, after the game, not like not, not that day, that week, but like down the road, and they talked about it, and they said, yeah, there was just our team wasn't that right that year. There was a, a locker room issues, so I was unaware of that and that stuff. But the other thing, was, I would say to that point, one yep. of the things that I found interesting was uh, how the guys told you that uh, Laranega had basically uh, would not allow them to wear headphones while they were around each other or around uh, or just in public in general. He wanted them interacting with each other, talking with each other, talking to other people. And it's one of the things they noticed about UConn very quickly. Like when UConn got off the bus, they were all wearing headphones. They weren't talking to each other. They weren't hanging out. And we were having the best time ever. And again, this none of this stuff really means anything if you if UConn wins and George Mason loses. But sure. I thought it was just interesting that the Mason players noticed something different about them uh, as it related to themselves. Yes, and listen, I had a few, like, I had to cut a lot from this story, but there are a few things that just... In you terms could of, not like, have possibly cut a lot from that story. Trust me. I felt like I was reading trust forever. Me. Like, in terms of the pace and the tension, like, there were... So, um, I'm going to post on my own personal website just a few other things uh, that didn't make it because there are other elements to, I think, the UConn game and the players, but you're right about the headphone thing. Um, and they, they talked about how it meant so much. Like, they didn't uh, necessarily like that at first. But then once they got to the Sweet 16 and the Final Four, like, everyone at campus knew all of them. And it was a big-time thing. Like, Laranago was like, don't walk around the ha campus with your headphones on. Pe 
be ambassadors to this university. And it was all this stuff that he had said, not in February, but like way before. Long-winded answer to get to the second part, GP, though. The other thing was I did not realize the circumstances surrounding the Wichita State game that was the Bracket Busters game. Mm -hmm. um, two quick things. One, Larinaga told me, and this wasn't in the story, Larinaga told me that someone that he knew at ESPN came to him and asked him who he wanted to play, and he said, give me the toughest team. He knew it was going to be a road game. He said, give me the toughest team in the Valley that you can possibly get me because I need to have that win. Like, he really understood that they needed a big non-conference win. Turgeon told me that he didn't had no idea that that had happened. No one ever asked him about that, so I thought that was interesting. But um, Tony Skin almost didn't play in the game. I thought that and, was good. I didn't know that. Not only this, and like I didn't really emphasize in the story, but so Skin almost doesn't play in the game because he gets into this fight with Bashir Mason, who's now the coach at Wagner. Okay, earlier like Wag, uh, Bashir Mason and Skin were both recruited by Larinaga to go to Mason, and Skin goes on a visit. And Larinaga had this thing where he did it to Lamar Butler too. He goes, "Listen, I only got room for one spot," and he was he wasn't lying to him. He's just it was just a, a tactic he used. He said, "I only got one spot." And if you want to, if you want that scholarship, you're going to have to commit to me, or you chance losing it to another player. So Skin commits the day after Bashir Mason then goes takes and visit, and he doesn't get to go to to George Mason because Skin beat him. And it's those two players that get into a tussle when Mason's at uh, when Bashir Mason's at Drexel, and he almost didn't play in the Wichita State game. So there's that. There's the fact that one of the you know Fowler and Campbell, who was the point guard, lost his grandmother, and like really was dead set on going to Africa. And I really had to chop a lot of that down, but it was like a thing for like four or five days. Like Larinaga said he can go, but he was not comfortable with it whatsoever. There was a huge meeting at Follerin's parents' house. Um, so there were a lot of factors that were going against Mason even having its full roster available at Wichita State, which is already a tough place to play. And then Skin is the one that actually hits the winning shot for the three-pointer at Wichita State. And then it's that play, that design play that Wichita State goes back to in the UConn game and runs legitimately over over 25 times in a row <laughs> because Jim Calhoun refuses to double because they had the best front court. They led the nation in blocks. He doubled them once. And I think it was uh, Butler hit him, uh, killed him with a three. And so Calhoun said, we're not doubling ever again. And so that's why Mason just was able to stay and stay and stay in the game. Um, so anyway, it was it was truly just like so, so fun to write. Um a personal anecdote, I watched that game with my brothers, and it was before I covered college basketball nationally, and it's the last time that I actually, like, was legitimately, I would say I was, like, into the Davidson thing and rooting for Davidson, but I was, like, emotionally invested in in George Mason beating UConn in that game and getting to the Final Four just because I wanted to see it. I, I was so uh, pessimistic. I didn't think there was any chance. As I kind of tweeted when I teased the article, like I'm still waiting for Denim Brown's three to go in because, you, you know, the, 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 the one seed does not lose in that spot. Like it just almost never happens. Um, so it was just uh, it was an it was amazing, really fun thing to write. I wanted to ask you guys, um, Gary, I guess you would have been at the commercial appeal at that time. And yeah. Sam, you were probably seven. But do you remember <laughs> do you remember where you were? Because yes. to me, the Mason over Yukon one, it's like remember where you were. Like I remember when Farouk Manesh beat Kansas with the shot. I just wondered if you guys uh, yeah, did have that with Mason and you knew where you were watching when. I wasn't watching. I was on a plane. Oh, brutal. That's the whole thing. You know why? Because the day prior, I was in Oakland for the Adam Morrison crying game. Because oh, man. Because, was... um, no, well, no, the Adam Morrison crying game was a few days before, but the, uh, that was on a Thursday. You're right. But it, that, that was the Sweet 16 against yeah, UCLA. The Saturday, uh, it was Memphis, UCLA. 
in Oakland, one versus two seeds in the West Regional. And I and Cal John Calipari, I was the Memphis beat writer, was so pissed off because they had beaten UCLA by like they were up a billion. They won by double digits, I believe, at the Garden back in November. Like um, uh, right around Thanksgiving, one of those events. I only remember because my 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 uh, my thirteen year old, my my little boy who just turned thirteen, he was I guess three at the time. And we you went. Would think so. Yeah, I'm doing the math on it in my head. And so he, um, we were. I took him and Kelly both to uh, New York with me for the NIT, whatever it was called. And we ended up going. Like somebody invited me. Like, hey, why don't you go to the? We're having a Thanksgiving dinner with all the teams. My point is, we we had Thanksgiving dinner with Jordan Farmar. <laughs> it was it was me, Kelly, Jordan Farmar, and my little boy Aiden. That was our our Thanksgiving dinner. So fast forward all the way to um, the regional, and Cal's pissed off because they're the one seed, Memphis is, and this is uh, Darius Washington, Sean Williams. I think Joey Dorsey was a freshman. Chris Douglas Roberts, Antonio Anderson, they were freshmen, and um, they're playing a road game. Eighteen thousand UCLA fans. The one seeds, yeah. the one seeds in a road game, and they missed like their first eighteen three pointers. They played terribly, and they end up losing. And so, to wrap this back around to the final four, Mason was in because Mason won. And I don't know if people remember, Florida was not a one seed. No. there were no one seeds there. It was the first. It was the first time. Yeah. I mean, that in the modern era, that yeah. all four one seeds failed to reach the final four. Right. So it was George Mason, LSU, UCLA, and Florida. And this is so the next weekend, Rodney Carney was on this team too, this Memphis team. So the final four weekend, Calipari is at the Rodney Carney's in the slam dunk competition, like at the final four. And I'm and I end up sitting with him because Rodney Carney's there. So I'm there as the beat writer and he's there. So I end up sitting with him. And we're just chit chatting and he sort of I'll never forget this moment. And I, since you already said a bad word, I'll say a bad word too. And we can bleep him if we have to. But he said, Cal looks at me and he goes, you know what's still driving me crazy? And I said, what? He said, if we had just played shitty, we would have won. But we didn't even play shitty. We didn't even play that that well. And they would have been the only one seed at the Final Four. And if you you know go by seeds, they would have probably, that Memphis team, been the favorite to win a national championship. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, right. So, uh, so anyway, the next day I'm flying home from Oakland to Memphis. I, I missed, you missed the, it. I never saw the game live. I've seen the highlights obviously a million times. I did not see the game. Did you know, uh, Sam, just real quick, you, the one amazing one that I didn't see um, was uh, uh, Arizona Illinois. I did not see that game. I was, uh, you know. Don't want to get too crazy and deep into it, but I was actually like going through like a breakup. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you I, were you were listening to uh, Bright Eyes I, instead? <laughs> yeah, no, no, it was like no, I legitimately like as the game was happening, like I was going in, in, through a breakup, like oh, wow. it was actually happening. A dumping was going on, so I never saw Arizona Illinois, which is you know one of the greatest comebacks ever, and that was the year before. Sam, do you remember the Mason game at all? Where you um, like vaguely? I he definitely was, remember was, Sam watching was, it. Sam was in his high chair. He had, tough, yeah. he, had, he had dropped his pacifier. And I so was. He was. I was 15 year old years old, still okay. in a high chair. Can, <laughs> uh, can confirm that. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I remember it vaguely. I don't. I don't remember it like in detail by any means. Like you can pull out details. Um, even like the Farokman S shot. I, I mean, I don't. I was in college for that, and I don't even remember it. Like I remember the shot. I remember that a lot more in detail than uh, I remember this uh, Denim Brown shot, for instance, where you just assumed it was going to go in. Um, yeah, no, some thoughts generally. I mean, mine are just so many 
so much more like on the surface. Um, when I was reading it, I kept like confusing Tony skin for Jamie Skeen on that VCU team, okay. like trying to like figure out like, wait a minute, why do they keep referring to this guy as Tony? Isn't his name Jamie? Like I, it was okay. just like my brain. Cause like these ups, like I kind of conflated the Shout two. Out to Devin Downey. Yeah, exactly. Shout out to Devin Downey. I, uh, kind of conflated the two in my brain at that point for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, number two, you guys pointed out the headphones thing. That was one of the things that stood out to me most just because it, it's something you can see in his Miami teams now. Uh, I mean, there have already been videos posted by Miami's uh, social media people of like this Miami team just having a blast together in the locker room, dancing, you know, they, they wrapped Ritz Carlton uh, in a video. Like it's it, this group at Miami looks pretty similar to what you described in the Mason piece. Right. So it was interesting to kind of compare the two. And then the last thing that I noticed, and this is definitely the most important thing is uh, I had totally forgotten about the song kryptonite by purple ribbon all stars. <laughs> right. Uh, and I listened to it like eight times today. Is, yeah. It's now like on my playlist, like for eternity, probably uh, real quick. I'll wrap this up. Then we can hit the, hit the games upcoming. Um, uh, yeah, so Larenega had just listened. This is this was not a new thing for that tournament. He just has a, a way of having a corny, goofy but inspirational pregame speeches. And uh, I don't even think the kryptonite thing is a great motivator, but it has stuck with the team forever. He said, you know, UNC, their fans see him as Superman. Your uniforms are green. That's kryptonite. And then he plays the song and starts dancing. And just the idea of Jim Larenega at 56 getting down to Big Boy and Killer Mike is just too too good. Um, I, I want to emphasize. I didn't like, like just, that one, the kryptonite thing. I'm like, whatever. The CAA was really good, though. I thought CAA was great because, the, and you know what was funny is, um, I think it was Jai Lewis that really set it up for me, where he was like, yeah, coach sat us down, play kryptonite, and he goes, they don't, because UConn was, they weren't killing them before, and I didn't remember this at all. Um, but they were just basically like they thought they were in the Patriot League because their nickname is the Patriots. They didn't know anyone on the team. <laughs> I love the fact that Will Thomas, the no-name big man for George Mason, absolutely dominated Rudy Gay in like a really tough Baltimore high school league, has never lost to Rudy Gay. thought that was so awesome that they ended up meeting in the tournament. Will Thomas won again. He's 8-0 lifetime versus Rudy Gay. And uh, but but Jai Lewis said, yeah, he's trying to get us up. They don't you guys they don't even know who you are. They don't even know what league you're in. You guys are in the CAA. And there's and the way Jai Lewis explained it was like and we were just like there was like some dead air. And we were like, yeah, coach. He's like, no, you were in the CAA. You were in the Connecticut Assassin Association. And then the <laughs> entire locker room like starts going nuts. They're playing kryptonite again. Like it's just like this amazing thing. But I do want to say from like a behind the scenes reporting perspective, Larenega was, was probably on the phone with me. I talked to him three times for about three hours total. And this is a coach in the middle of a season where he's trying to get a one seed, trying to get an ACC regular season championship. Um, I didn't expect that much time. Um, at one, one day I called him literally, he was like, let's talk at seven 20 in the morning, which I'm never up that early, but I, I called him at seven 20. He picked right up when we talked and we, we went for 40 minutes, just kind of picked up from where we went from the previous interview. Um, I talked to people in the Philippines, Poland, Spain, all across, um, everyone was really accommodating for the story. Calhoun uh, seemed in, I, like I thought his quotes were interesting. Like Calhoun seemed good. Calhoun was my last interview. I did try and get Roy Williams, and I did not get him. I did not think I'd get Calhoun. I got him. He was on the phone with me for about thirty minutes, and he was amazing. I thought um, so. It came across that way. 
flat out amazing. Um, gave me more than I could even. And for you know, you know how Calhoun talks. I mean, it's like he is he is rolling, and I'm just like trying to type to keep up with him, and I'm taping it. And the transcribing session after that was just Ooh. like, what am I even doing here? Yeah. Um, but he was very very good. Um, I'll leave it on this. The Mason to me, the thing is like with Butler and VCU and Wichita State. It's not that they just came after that, but those programs had more money into them. They had much more college basketball history. Mason had never won a tournament game. They barely got into the field. No one really even knew who George Mason was. It was a college with one of those weird nicknames like Oral Roberts. Okay, now it's like Mason's on a radar. But 10 years ago, it flat out, it just was not. It was a complete unknown. And uh, and what it did, I mean, it's just... It was it, it just changed the dynamic, man. I mean, there had never been a school at that level that had ever gotten to a Final Four. And since then, we've seen many instances of that. And um, I just felt it was uh, appropriate to go back down that road. And and now we've spent like 10, 15 minutes talking <laughs> no, about something that happened 10 yeah. years ago. But no, it's so but impactful. I, no, like, I, I love no, that story. I enjoy I it. No, I, I like this conversation. I, like, um, I, I hope people like it as much as I do. Um, yeah. I also want to point yeah. something out, too. Like, Mason is not in the A-10, like in like a – you know, high mid-major conference if this doesn't happen either. Like it's had genuine impact on the school, like just from a, just from the standpoint of, you know, improving that basketball program's livelihood. And, and I think that that's worth pointing out too. Not in all of the cool facts that you pointed about out about the university as well after uh, about how their enrollment went way higher. How much was the dollar figure? Was it like $670 million of marketing? Oh yeah, is that what it was? Yeah, they they like, actually they forwarded me a PowerPoint like it was like forty pages, but yeah, they it, with print and TV and radio and whatever it was in terms of free advertising for that like four week period alone was insane. Hi uh, Carter. Yeah, my my son is here. He's I just fed him a bottle, and he's now done. And uh, anyway, two other things that I thought were interesting. One, and I didn't know this, George Mason never sold out a game that year. Yeah. That was interesting. Like it was, it became this big. Not even deal. close to selling out a game. Yeah, it became this big deal, but it was not a big deal throughout the season. They never sold out a game all season. And then the other thing that a bunch of people pointed out to you is that they were outside of, and at the time, like Lenardi was the bracket, right? right. Joe Lenardi at ESPN, he was the bracket, and he had them out the entire time. And then, like five minutes before the selection show starts, he puts George Mason in, which is sort of, which is curious, if for no other reason than. Um, no, the data, the data uh, let me, not changed. Uh, let me real quick, because you know what? I almost didn't put that in, but the fact of the matter is about, uh, well, every coach told me, and then two other players remembered it happening this way as well, right. and it's important to the frame of the story because when Mason lost in the CAA to Hofstra, it had to wait a week until Selection Sunday. So sure. for about six days, it was nothing but uncertainty and some pessimism, and then about five, ten minutes before the Selection Show is going to start, Chris Caputo, who's an assistant now at Miami under Larinaga and was there at Mason, he gets a call from his girlfriend and from Dan Steinberg from the Washington Post uh, saying, uh, you guys are now in Lunardi's bracket. Like, So they go six days thinking they're out, and at the, at the 11th hour and the 59th minute, it all changes. So it was important to the fr- structure of the story because – then when the selection show started, the mood of the room at Larinaga's house, it was very different. There was still some uncertainty because they weren't sure, 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 sure. But at that time, Lunardi, I mean, a decade, like he's still relevant now and doing his stuff. But like 
especially before that was like really before bracketology just became like everywhere. He was really the only like major, major super one at that point. And so it was uh, it was a big time thing for them. Everyone kind of breathed a little before their name actually popped up on the screen. Let's uh, transition straight from this into Jim Laranega's current team, which is the Miami Hurricanes, of course, because um, they are at this moment uh, tied with North Carolina atop the ACC standings. Um, they both got one game left. Miami is at Virginia Tech on Saturday afternoon. And then North Carolina is at Duke on Saturday night. And obviously, they're two 40-minute basketball games. The point spreads won't be much on either one of them. But this is true, I believe. I know this is true. Miami will be favored at Virginia Tech. Um, and I believe Duke will be favored over North Carolina. So if the games go the way that oddsmakers say they're supposed to go, uh, Laranega is about to win an outright ACC title, and it'll be his uh, second title in the past four years at Miami. And Miami, in the history of its men's basketball program, before Laranega got there, had only won one league title ever. Leonard, Leonard Hamilton won a Big East title once upon a time. But um, Are we going to put Jim Laranega's statue up at Miami with him in a ladder? Well, see, that's the thing that I think gets lost about the, the Tom Crean statue, is that we don't want to do it simply because it needs to be done. We want to do it because it um, does though. Listen, it does need to be done. Let, let me be clear. If I'm not being clear, it absolutely needs to be done. All right. But that's not the, the um, primary motivation. We also want the, the Tom Crean statue of him standing on a ladder, holding a pair of scissors um, because it'll just aggravate Indiana fans. And I think that's hilarious. <laughs> that's why I really want the Tom Crean statue because I think it is the funniest thing in the world. Like how much, how, how, how nasty that relationship has sometimes gotten. And yet he just stacking big 10 titles on top of each other and cutting nets. I love it. So it's my favorite story. It's beautiful. Yeah, no, it um, is. no, I agree with you though on Miami. I think that one thing that's also worth pointing out here is that Miami has done this against a considerably more difficult schedule than what North Carolina's faced this year. North Carolina has the easiest strength of schedule in the ACC, according to Ken Baum, and Miami's is middle of the pack, which is actually pretty good uh, for a team at the top of the league. Like if you look at uh, like the high end of the ACC, you know, you have North Carolina, Virginia, Louisville, Duke, Notre Dame, and Syracuse. All of those teams are at least nine and eight in the league. Uh, none of those teams have a strength of schedule that's better than 10th in the league. They are the bottom uh, 10 through 15 in the league in strength of schedule. And Miami has actually had to face a little bit more difficult of schedule than those guys, and they've still ended up picking up all of these wins in the process. It's a really remarkable job that Laranega has done there, not only in his four years, uh, or I guess it's now six years since he's been there, but uh, in this year particularly, I know that they have a really senior-oriented group, but this ACC is very difficult. Ooh. I mean, there are four top 10 teams right now in that league, uh, according to Kempom, and they, they are included in that, and they will be a well-deserving ACC champion if it goes through. Well, how about, quick, you know, okay, like, ahead, just real quick, um, yeah. to put it in context, like, okay, and there's a lot of different ways to win league titles, but we can all agree, like winning the ACC, I don't care how you do it, like that's an amazing achievement. Like Tony Bennett's won the past two at Virginia. I mean, th this is a difficult league with Hall of Fame, like how many, there are four Hall active Hall of Fame coaches in the league and they're all yeah. still operating at the same level. Like you go win this league, you have done something. And not only was Laranega doing it at a school with basically no basketball history at all, 
He's done it with two completely different rosters. And he's done it yeah. without one-and-done stars. I mean, he has really just taken players and and th- that should not be achieving on this level and molded them into teams two different times. And when you combine it with what he's once upon a time did at George Mason, I mean, yes. we are really talking about one of the great basketball coaches in this country. All right. So a few, two, couple quick weeks for me here. One, um, the ACC tournament this year is going to be in Washington, D.C. So... Uh, Larinaga is going to practice with his team at George Mason's facility. I love that. And that is as pragmatic as it is uh, superstitious, I'm sure, given this is the 10-year anniversary. He knows exactly what he's doing with that. If It would be an amazing story if he did this with this Miami team 10 years removed because you got to consider the programs that he would have. It, we are so long from this. But if he did do it, and this Miami team, by the way, can make the Final Four, sure. it's definitely good enough to do it. If that happened, um, one, uh, I wouldn't hate it because I would have read my Mason story the same year it happened, and that would be amazing timing. You just, you retweet, you just retweet it every week. But bada bang, right? But more than that, uh, you could really, really start to make an argument that Larinaga uh, should get some Hall of Fame consideration if he's going to take those two programs. Again, he's got to do it, okay? But if he did it to take a Mason and Miami – to the final Woo. four, and by the way, with Miami, I mean we we talked about it about a month ago. Uh, it's it's beyond anyone's expectation what he's done there, and it's it just speaks to how good of a coach he is. And I think a run, no matter what happens, like if, if Miami can reach another Sweet 16 minimally, I think this is the kind of run where people are going to start giving him his proper due, not as like. Oh, yeah, that fun-loving coach that took Mason to the Final Four and start looking at him really as, like, a really high-level, um, fantastic coach at all levels. Well, what do you think, Can, can I just point out another yeah. thing about Miami, too? Sure. Uh, going forward, this is a team that isn't just built for this year. Like, no. they have a top-10 recruiting class coming in next year featuring yeah. three kids that a lot of people really like in Dewan Hewell, Bruce Brown up in, uh, I want to say he's in like the Northeast, like Vermont or New Hampshire or something like that. And then they also have an Australian kid coming in, Dehan Vasilievich, who uh, has performed really well on all international stages. This is not going to be a like flash in the pan thing at Miami uh, where it's like a one in every four years thing. Uh, He really could get this going in a way that, uh, could have them at the top of the league like Virginia has been uh, consistently over the course of the last few years. Because I think kids are starting to realize, hold up, you're telling me I can go play for a great coach in a building that's sold out in arguably the best league in the country and live in Miami? Okay. And rap Ritz Carlton in the <laughs> locker room afterward? Like, it really is. Like, what I go around to these college campuses. Like, I, I've been to all of the main basketball ones at some point. And like, with all due respect, I'm not going to, you know, single any of them out, but the ones that are like really, really cold, (laughs) like you, you, I go, why would you ever pick this place over like UCLA or over Miami? Like my, it's such a, just like, it's, I know it hasn't historically been easy to recruit to Miami, but when you got it, when you got a nice facility, sold out season tickets, you know, a guy who, uh, you know, I, I don't think what Norlander said is absurd. Uh, it could be putting together a Hall of Fame resume. Uh, and, and the Miami weather, like, why would you not want to go to college there? I don't think, sometimes I don't think kids think enough about, like, what it's like to just walk around outside for a few years. Like, it's nice. Yeah, <laughs> it's nice out there, man. That's where I'm going to school. Can I also point out one other thing? 
if this like whole odds makers thing happens where North Carolina loses, Miami wins, wins the outright title, that will be, I believe, four years in a row uh, that not either Carolina. North Carolina or Duke has won the ACC or even Louisville for that matter. It's pretty yeah, remarkable, I wonder, right? But yeah, well, it so is because Louisville it, just when, entered. When was the last time there was a four-year span in the ACC where neither Duke or Carolina I won? bet you it's been a long, long time because I used, I looked this up a long time. Like for a while there, I mean, there were an ex, there was an exception every once in a while, like a Wake Forest would grab one or Maryland would grab one. But for sure. a while, it was basically Duke or Carolina every year. Mm-hmm. And yet, yeah, we're on the verge of maybe going uh, – did you say it was four years? It'd be four years because it'd be Miami, yeah. Virginia, Virginia, Miami. How about that? Who'd that's, have ever thought that? Uh, that's honestly that's <laughs> bonkers. But we'll we'll see if it uh, we'll see if it happens. Um, I, will, I will say, I will say this um, yeah. in terms of North Carolina Duke, it sort of sits up like it did back in 2012 in this way. So Duke goes to North Carolina for mm-hmm. the first for the first of the two games, right? That's the Austin River shot. Do you remember that? Yeah. Okay. I know exactly where I was for that one. I know exactly where I was for that one too. Like I was in the building. I was I was in Chapel Hill. I was there at the game, and I was already writing about uh, North Carolina winning. Like the game was over, and then Austin hits yeah. this crazy shot, and you start you know you you scrap everything. Um, yeah, I but- was writing my last uh, paper at Ohio State, like my <laughs> one of my longest like theses at Ohio State, and. Uh, yeah, I like stood up on a chair and was like, "Holy crap!" Oh no, like, it was unbelievable. No, it, it was it was unbelievable, right? So then, uh, North Carolina um, is still in a position at the end to win the ACC, exactly like they are right. It's not exactly like they are right now, but uh, in the same sense that um, they they had a shot going into the final Duke game at Cameron to win the ACC title, even though they had already lost at home to Duke, and they beat the crap out of them. Like they beat the I think they beat them. And that would have been uh, Hansborough's final Duke Carolina game. I don't. Right? I don't remember that. I don't know. No, because uh, no, no, no. What am I thinking? The only the only reason that, I that wasn't the, that. It wasn't even honor, close to that. He was done in 2010. Yeah, I just they just they beat them like bad. They went into Cameron final Saturday night of regular season and just beat them bad. So uh, whereas you you wouldn't typically pick against Duke and Cameron, and I don't think I'm picking against Duke and Cameron this weekend. Um, you know, Roy's got something to pull from. You know, he can, he can, he can like say, "Hey, we were in the same spot, 2012. They beat us in our building in a game that we weren't supposed to lose. We still had an opportunity to win the ACC, and we went in their building and we ran them off their own court. Let's go run them off their own court again. I don't know if it'll work, but uh, we've seen that scenario play out before. That's my point. Okay, fair enough. Um, can we hit on the Arch Madness real quick here? I am, I am going to Arch Madness tomorrow, Norlander. We can talk about it all you want to. Okay, so here's my, here's my thing. Okay, let's, let's, uh, here's my guess. Let's say Wichita State loses in the semis, doesn't even get to the finals. Okay. I wonder. This will be an interesting litmus test this year. Do you realize that Wichita State is eighth in Ken Palm right now? Yes, because I okay. look at it every single day. Okay, so let's say if it loses in the semis, worst case scenario. I would think it's 15 for Wichita State. Worst. It probably won't even fall that far. I wonder if Wichita State is basically going to get in no matter what. I'll tell you this. Because of that number. Because if the committee's going to be looking at Ken Palm stuff more and more, and if we've reached a point where we can agree that if you're a top 15 Ken Palm team, you're a team that deserves to be in the NCAA tournament, uh, you know, broadly speaking, I think that's a practical and reasonable thing to say. 
But I would go as far as top 30 even. But, I know, but, but, but I know that's But here's what I would no, say. Here's okay. what I would say. If you look at their wins and losses, that is not a tournament resume. So, uh, <laughs> well, listen, I, listen I, I'm not going to argue against Wichita State. I love them so much, and I want them in the NCAA tournament. But when you look at what they've actually done this year, it is not a tournament resume. Okay. I, I, I'm not, and I'm not saying necessarily that it is or it isn't. I'm saying I would be very interested to see what would happen to them if they didn't even make the ta- the tournament final and if they would still get in just because of how highly rated they are by those metrics. Um, but having said all of that, I think they are going to roll to the championship because I think um, – They know. The team, they know the and they got it. They know they got to get it. They know they got to get it. And honestly, like – there aren't many dudes in college basketball who like truly like back against the wall. Like I'd, I'd pick over Van Vliet. I just think I'm that he's you. a mother when it comes to that kind of stuff. And I, I'm expecting him to have a pretty big weekend. They have one top 85 win one. They beat Utah. Okay. That's yeah, it. I forget everything I said then. No, they have one. They, like I'm listen. No, I'm I, I'm saying like that's, that's brutal. If that's, if that's the case. They have one. The next best win they got is an Evansville win. Evansville yeah. I don't think Palm has him. I don't think Palm gives him any chance by the way for an at large. I would give them a chance, but. Well, here's the crazy thing. Like, we've counted out Gonzaga, like, for a while now as far as getting in at large. I know. Like, they're a, they have a almost considerably better resume oh, than Wichita right. State. There's nothing there. I, like, I love I love Wichita State so much. But I, there is nothing on that resume that's, that yeah. says put them in the tournament if they don't get the automatic bid. Yeah, like, Wichita State is – or uh, Gonzaga has three top 70 wins, uh, no losses I'll, I'll outside of the top 60. Right. No, so yeah, Wichita's got one top eighty-five win. They've got yeah, granted uh, it's a really nice win, but they've got home yeah, win. they've got okay, they've got three losses outside of the top fifty, one outside of the top one hundred. And here's the thing: if they don't get the automatic bid, it means they got to take another loss. And if they take another loss, guess what it is? Another loss outside of the top fifty. So if they don't get the automatic bid, here's where they're sitting at: because they're going to have only one top eighty-five win, um, no matter what, because nobody else in the in the, in the Missouri Valley's in the top 85 of the RPI. So they're going to they're going to be on selection Sunday with one top 85 win no matter what. And if they don't get the automatic bid, it means they're taking another sub 50 loss. I'll tell you this, if you change their name from Wichita to Illinois State, we wouldn't even be talking about them at all. Well, ag- agreed unless you know Illinois State had the same Exact deal and was eighth in Kempon. I, I bet you in the history of this podcast, heading into the final week of the regular season, into March Madness, into this weekend, we have never question. We have never discussed whether a team with one top eighty-five win and three losses outside of the top fifty should get in the tournament. Ever in the history of any, in the history of any podcast, I'll stretch it out. Any podcast, inclu- yeah. Well, in, I will including, be, including yeah. your your music podcast. <laughs> I will be interested to see uh, if Wichita State does lose. How it's handled with that, but I don't think it will lose. Um, how about how about Greg Marshall not winning the Missouri Valley Conference Coach of the Year? Did that happen? Who won it? Barry Henson, the homie Barry Henson. Uh, well, yeah. I actually agree with that. Are you out of your mind? And I love <laughs> Barry Henson, but 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 the idea that you could win your league by four games and not be the coach of the year is crazy. Yeah, that might be fair. And, and you, you, and you know why? Here's why. Henson didn't. They didn't close the year well either. No, it's, listen. I, I, and I'm actually writing. The, I'll this, accept. I'm actually right. This is going to be the final thought in my uh, inside college hoops column for Friday. 
But um, so I, I'm not going to protest it because like I like I really like Barry Henson. I, I think he's a, a, a good man and a good coach. And I, I he was up against it this year. I know I don't think he was on the hot seat list just because people don't care about what's going on at Southern Illinois. But he was like in a tough spot. You know, he had people transfer out of the program and people were questioning whether he could do the job. And he broke through a little bit this year. And, you know, I was there for the Wichita State game. They got run off the court. But like it was a wonderful environment, sold out. I was happy to see him have this season. So I'm not going to protest, but it is insane that Greg Marshall is not the Missouri Valley Conference coach of the year. But what, but it's a part of a, I mean, he's the clear best coach in the league. Like, but like he did, nobody doubts that. You know what? But here's what happens. And this never makes sense to me. Men who run a top shelf program, get it held against them when it comes to getting awards because just, just being the, the best program in the Missouri Valley conference, because you created it, and, and and putting together a roster and developing players in a way that makes you the clear favorite shouldn't be um, a negative for you. Okay, here's here's going to be my question for you. In the Big 12, who do you think is the coach of the year? Bill Self! Is it Bill Self or your boy Tubby? No, it's Bill Self and it ain't close. <laughs> if, you win, if you win the Big 12 again with zero first-round draft picks in your, in your starting lineup, the toughest league in the country we all call it. And here he is again, going to win it by multiple games for the 12th straight year. It's Bill Self, but Bill Self will have it, have it held against him, and people will vote for Tubby because Tubby overachieved. I, I think you got to look at the big picture when it comes to conference coach of the years. Don't just tell me, because what it tends to be is, what coach overachieved more than anybody else? Let's give it to him. And here's the best proof of this. By the end of the 2007 college basketball season, you ready for this? It's going to blow your mind. It might not blow your mind, but it's interesting. By the end of the 2007 college basketball season, Billy Donovan had three SEC regular season championships, four SEC tournament championships, three Final Four appearances, and two national championships, and zero SEC Coach of the Year awards. He never won an SEC Coach of the Year. He had two national championships before he ever won an SEC Coach of the Year award. In 2006, John Brady won it. In 2007, Kevin Stallings won it. The idea that a guy could win three SEC regular season titles, four SEC tournament titles, go to three Final Fours and win two national titles, and at that moment have two national championship rings and zero SEC Coach of the Year award honors? Like, it's insane, but that's the way people vote on it. But it's Okay, wrong. so here's, here would be my reason why I would vote for Tubby. Go and ahead. you're probably going to call me stupid. Yeah, or dumb. So, stupid or dumb. You know, I picked Kansas to win the national title this year. Like, I understand I understand what your point is going to be. But at a certain point, like, do we reward coach of the year for best recruiter? Like, like should we reward that award for being the best at recruiting talent? Gary's stances, Gary's stances, that should be accounting for 50% of the award. Your ability to actually recruit and get players should go toward consideration for would you consider hey. is a major part of the job no and that, about, I, that's fine with me this? i think if that's you, a okay, fair sam, sam, way to award the award sam you're an athletic director you're going to hire a coach do you consider recruiting at all his ability to do it yes of course it's part of the job it's a it's probably the biggest part of the job and for that not to be factored into the coach of the year award seems crazy to me i'll, I'll just rely on the fact that billy donovan had two national titles but before he had an sec coach of the year trophy as long as we can all agree that's ridiculous, then we can I mean, all... what are we even talking about here? Then what are we even talking about here? Hey, Bill Self does have one whack coach of the year <laughs> before he won that national title. The, I, the, like, this is going to be my new soapbox. Once Sean Miller and I shut down these court stormings, my next thing I'm going to turn my attention to is making sure people understand how to vote for league coach of the year. 
because you can't just give it to the dude that overachieves as much. Uh, uh, Greg Marshall should be the Missouri Valley Conference Coach of the Year. You know who should be the uh, the Mountain West Coach of the Year? Steve Fisher. You know there who you should go. win the Big Twelve Coach of the Year? Well, now you're just currying so, favor with San Diego State fans. They, they That's what's happening. I'm here. pretty sure they're over all that. Um, <laughs> um, the the Big East Coach of the Year. Maybe Chris, Chris maybe Chris Mack, but like you I, go, Chris Mack. I would at least listen to that. All right, that's fine. I could at least listen to that. Um, what are the who would list? who would be your ACC coach of the year? I'm, I'd probably leave Larinaga. Larinaga, yeah. Okay, I would take Coach K because I think that to keep that team together by like a shoestring basically was more impressive than what Larinaga did. There's something to that. I would bet. I this is a total. I, I, guess. I'm, 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 let me pause for a second. I want to remind you that Jim Larinaga at Miami is about to win an outright ACC title, <laughs> probably. Yes. Oh that, no! Some... I we just spent like however long talking about that, but I think that Coach K keeping basically a five and a half man team together. For... I, I, I let me say this in all seriousness. If I would not think it's, I think it's dumb to vote for Tubby Smith as much as I think what Tubby's doing there is great. I don't. I do not think it's dumb to vote for Mike Shishovsky. That's not crazy. Yeah, and I wonder. How many, like Krzyzewski, I could be way off and completely wrong on this, but I almost feel like Krzyzewski might have this Phil Jackson thing going. Like, didn't Phil, like, only win Coach of the Year twice or something in the NBA? Maybe I don't even have that right. But I feel like Krzyzewski doesn't even have that many Coach of the Years in the ACC, and yet he's, you know, arguably the greatest coach of all time. Yeah. Like, you know, we don't give Coach, it's the craziest thing. We don't coach give K has won the Naismith Coach of the Year award three times. Uh, he's won ACC coach of the year five times. We don't, but like okay, five so. times in 30 years, 30, that's crazy. Five years. You tell it. Yeah. You're telling. Yeah. How many, how many years has he actually been at Duke? He's been at since Duke since 80. 80. Yeah. And you're telling and me he was, and you're telling me he was, year. he was only the coach of the year in the ACC five of those times. Yeah. It's, Get it's out of my face. Crazy. Get out it's of my crazy. face. It's stupid. <laughs> People don't know how to vote for coaches. The idea that the best coaches in the leagues don't win coach of the year awards is like insane. Yeah. Like, See, I wonder if this whole idea is like, kind like of a trickle it, down from the NBA where like it's a separation of power. There's an executive of the year and a coach of the year in the NBA. And I wonder if like there's a trickle down in the way people vote for college coach of the year and just consider coaching. It's just, like, I wonder if there should be a recruiter of the year award and a coach of the year award. I know there should just be a coach of the year. And here's what the, here's what, how you should figure it out. Here's how you should vote. You should look at the league and you should go, who's done the best job? Who's done the best job to get to where they're at right now? That's the way you should vote for coach of the year. You look at the Big 12, you look at the Missouri Valley Conference, and you say, who has done the best job to get to where they're at at this moment? And again, I love Barry Henson so much. Barry, if you listen to this, understand I love you to pieces. No, shout Barry Henson. Shout out to Barry. Yes. Shout out to Barry Henson. He might. He might be. You don't know that, Norlander. You can't, you can't know that for sure. Right. Um, but like, Greg Marshall just won the Missouri Valley Conference by, by four games. Like he's he's built a program where he can run away with a league that has historically been competitive. That's your coach of the year. What are we talking about? What are we even talking about? And we're we're gonna vote for John Calipari for coach of the year. I think season? probably so. Shouldn't we? Loses A and M is the one seed right now. Well, think about this. SEC. Okay, like okay, you're gonna everybody's gonna like spin it a whole bunch of ways and say he's the most, but he's got all the best players. Blah blah blah. Lose seven dudes off a team and win an SEC title. The next yeah. season, because that's what I mean. Has he, has he has he done appreciably better than what we expected with this talent level? He ripped you. He had seven players ripped off his team last season, and he's still about to get another SEC championship. That's good. No, it's definitely good. Don't get me wrong. He might, he, of, now the, if I wonder if, if like it, there is an argument for someone else. If your point is that 
Like he he's kind of scuffled with his front court the whole year. Like he hasn't figured out a way to get those guys together. You kidding like, me? Did you not watch Kentucky the other night? Scow has figured it out. Where'd that game happen? Scow's figured it out. Where was that game? It only took four months. Did you stop? Did you stop watching, Sam? <laughs> Have you stopped watching college basketball this season? Because Scow figured it out. It's over with now. <laughs> I so badly wanted to work in a little Gary thing, like Trump did, little Mark Marco, but oh, I dude. forgot to do it. Dude. Little Gary. <laughs> Little we Mark. said we'd have this podcast be 25 minutes. We've we've gone double that. <laughs> Little Mark, because because you couldn't stop bragging about your Mason story. Hey, I was, I was so giddy. To, I was so giddy. Little, the, dude, the Trump Little Marco thing makes me laugh so hard. He looks at him and says, Little, Little Marco, Little Marco. It is so <laughs> it is so funny to me. That is a grown man talking to another grown man. <laughs> it's the most ridiculous thing in the world. Like that that Republican presidential debate is the most ridiculous. Like it really, if you didn't know any, like if you came from a different time, you would think it's a Saturday Night Live skit. It is like it is a Saturday Night Live skit. Like Tina Fey could have authored that. Yeah, it no, is. I, I, it's it's ridiculous. And I I know people like some of my friends like when I'm laughing at it, they're like. Well, how could you laugh? This is depressing state of affairs in our country. And I'm like, listen, I, I gave up on trying to change the world. All I do is rank basketball teams. All right, like I ain't changing the world. I'm, but so I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be amazed by the world. And the idea that this dude up there is running away with the Republican nomination and calling the and bragging about his his, his penis. By the way, <laughs> All right, I forgot about that. How did I forget about that? Like the idea that that that, that this is happening, that this is real life. I, I I love it. I want every, I there's a part, well very twisted part of me that just wants to see this thing go as long as it could go because it is wildly entertaining. Also depressing on some level. I acknowledge that, but it is also amazing. I love the debate so much. I can barely watch Arizona Cow because I can't stop watching the debate. I probably <laughs> missed I probably missed about nine of Jalen Brown's fouls. <laughs> so what's our plan for Monday's podcast? Then? I don't know. Let's talk about that for a second. Monday is what? Monday is where will I be? Oh, I'll be home. You will be home this yeah, time. I don't so go we can to, actually I don't, do like a Monday morning we podcast. We can actually do a Monday morning podcast because I don't go back to I'm, – I'm in, I'm in St. Louis this weekend for Arch Madness. Looking forward to that. It's a great event. Hope to see everybody there. <laughs> and it's just not even. <laughs> I, I want everybody to. I just want to see everybody. I there. promise Seth Davis a shout out on his podcast. Shout out to way. Seth Davis. He's so the best. I tell you, yeah. I don't. I can't tell you for certain that Barry Henson's listening right now. We know I, Seth is listening. Seth it's Davis true. is the best. Seth Davis is the most loyal listener we got. We should bring him on sometime. Just let him shout out some things. I think we should. That's Who, true. Okay, we should so, do that. so shout out to Seth Davis for sure. So I'm going to Arch Madness, and I'm going to be the sideline reporter for the semifinals. But then they're bringing in Allie LaForce for the championship game. You getting pulled? Can you imagine? Can you imagine how depressing it is for those coaches that lose in the semifinals have to talk to me, <laughs> never get a chance to, to 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 kick it with Allie? I feel bad for them. So I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to come home Sunday, and then uh, I'll be actually home for a few days. I go to New York, I think again, maybe Wednesday or so for championship week. But I'll certainly be home on Monday. We're going to talk Monday morning. We'll make it happen, man. Okay, guys, come come on. Probably going to be more like Monday afternoon for you guys. Why? Why oh, for me? What do you think? You're the one on the West Coast. We, yeah. Norlander, it's gonna be Monday morning be for me, but yeah, for you guys, well, Norlander, it's gonna be like twelve thirty. Hey, I'm up at I'm up at five fifty every morning. So anytime you guys want to do a five fifty in the morning podcast, I'm down with it. I can go ahead and knock it out, get it done for the that day. That thing will really go off the rails. <laughs> 
really bad. God, there would be no rails. I, I hate getting up at 5.50 in the morning so much. Drive safe, JP. I'm going okay? dr- to drive safely. Everything's going to be cool. And then we will talk again on uh, on Monday morning. Actually, Monday morning. Uh, certainly Monday morning uh, on the Pacific Coast, right? Yeah, I think so. Maybe uh, maybe Sunday night. Might want to go Sunday night. Hey, hey, we'll figure this out in a text message, like a group message or something. Shout out to Seth Davis. Shout out to Barry Henson. I appreciate both of you listening. If you want to subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast, go do that at iTunes. Uh, best way to get your hands on the latest episodes as quickly as possible. And we will talk to you at some point uh, late Sunday or early Monday. We'll figure it out. We don't have to commit to that right now.